Thanks, Doug. As our children are dismissed to Kingdom Kids, um, we're going to look together in God's Word this morning. Uh, again, uh, Pastor Brian and Jessica, they're still on vacation and having a great time from what I understand. And as well as Pastor Terry is actually back with the kids. They drove all night last night and got back. You'll see him in just a little bit later as we close the service this morning. Uh, but as we get started this morning in the scripture, it's my privilege, as I said, to open God's word for, with you uh, together. And uh, we've been off uh, just a little bit of a, a large topic this morning, so hopefully we'll do this a uh, little bit of justice. Of course, uh, we finished up our Ephesians series at the end of June, and we're kind of in this month of transition, so a lot of different things that are happening. Uh, of course, again, next week, I encourage you to be here and join us, whether you're here uh, in the room or online, as we hear uh, about the great things that God did in and through our Envision Miami team, and so we're looking forward to next week, and I hope that you are as well. But as we get started this morning, I have a couple of questions uh, that I want to ask you, and this first question is one of those where whatever pops into your head first when I ask the question, that's your answer. You can't take it back, you can't change it, you can't do anything else with it, that's your answer. Now, you're not gonna, I'm not going to make you say it out loud, you don't have to share it with a friend, uh, but whatever pops into your head first is your answer to this first question, and here it is. How would you complete this sentence? God, if you are good, you would... Whatever fills in the blank, that's your answer. Hang on to that for just a moment. Because that actually leads us to question number two. And question number two is this. What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be good? It's a little bit of a loaded question, if we're honest with one another. Because I was, I, as I was first thinking about that, the first thing that popped into my mind was how often we comment on a child's behavior. That child is good, that child is not good, or bad, or a terror, or whatever case you might want to say there. But is goodness really about behavior? Is it really about simply following or not following rules? Let me put it to you a different way. And the scripture in Paul in Philippians 4 tells us to think on things that are good. Is all we're really supposed to be doing is thinking about the rules? I'm not really sure that's what he's writing about there. Similarly, in Galatians 5, Paul also, Paul also talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the parts of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. There's something more to this. So I did a little digging. And I found these definitions of goodness. The quality of being morally good or virtuous... The quality or state of being good. Now, let me just stop right there. I have to say, I have this pet peeve when a, di- when a definition uses its own word in the definition. You have not actually told me anything I didn't already know. So that's not very helpful to us either. Now, I did like this one, too. The nutritious, flavorful, or beneficial part of something. So we say, oh, that food is good. It was flavorful. Now, maybe not as nutritious as we think it should be, but uh, there's something there to that. But as we think about goodness... The next question leads us to this, is this, is when we say God is good, what do we really mean? When we say God is good, what is it that we're really saying? And I want to caution us to be careful before you answer that in your head. Because most of the time, we associate good with action. So if that's true, And we say God is good, are we saying that God is good because he simply does things that we like? Question number three. Have you ever seen God's glory? What does that even look like? 
What does it even mean to be glorious? You know, as I think about God's glory, I think one of the most, one of the images that always ticks in me, have you ever been driving down the road and it's cloudy? And maybe either you go around a curve or over a mountain or around some trees or you clear a building, not that there's tall ones here in Tacoa, but all of a sudden you, you, you clear and the clouds have broken open up and there's rays of light shining through. And because of the precipitation of whatever's in the air, these, it looks like there's like physical rays shining down and touching the earth. In that moment, I don't care what the science of that experience is. In that moment, I can't help but think of God's glory shining down upon this earth. What is God's glory? Today, as we open the scriptures together, we're going to be looking at living in the goodness of God. Like I said, I didn't, take, I didn't bite off a small topic. Some of us, though, I know as I say that, and as we're here this morning, I know that some of us that are sitting and listening, we're not so sure about the goodness of God. Maybe some of us here this morning don't really even understand the goodness of God and, and why it matters, or why it matters to you. Some of us really don't know what to do with the goodness of God because it just doesn't make sense to us. But the question for us this morning is this. What is the goodness of God? And why does it matter in our life? Will you pray with me? Father God, in these moments uh, we gather gathers your people. We gather in the name of Jesus. We gather recognizing, Lord God, that you are a good God, that you are a glorious God, that you are a great God, a loving God, a mighty God, a merciful God, a just God. And we gather this morning, though, to recognizing that we are human. And we come today with pains and questions and doubts, struggles, tensions. So Lord, in this moment, in this moment, Spirit of the living God, would you help us to understand your goodness? Would you help us to understand and hunger for your goodness. Help us to see who you are for who you are, not for who we want you to be. But God, would you speak to us this morning? Bring the scriptures alive. If necessary, pierce our hearts. Continue your transforming work in us in these moments. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the goodness of God? That's a loaded question if I've ever heard one. So, in order to answer that question, in my feeble attempt to scratch the surface of God's unsurpassing goodness, I'm going to invite you to listen to some scripture verses. This is not the time to get out your Bible. This is not the time to write anything down. I simply want you to listen. And listen and hear these words of the Lord, as we attempt to wrap our heads around what exactly is the goodness of God. 
First Chronicles 16.34, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 23.6, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 34.8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I'm going to add a little commentary here for just a moment. When, when the psalmist writes, taste and see that the Lord is good, he's talking both spiritually and I believe physically as well. Because Moses, who we're actually going to look at in just a moment, he spent 40 days in God's presence without eating or drinking and was none the worse of where for it. How many of us can go two hours without eating or drinking? Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is sufficient. Psalm 142, 6 through 7. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Mark 10, 18. No one is good but one, that is God. Psalm 33, 5. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 106.1, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Psalm 31.19-20, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. We're beginning to get a picture of the goodness of God. The goodness of God is his mercy. It is eternal. It is unlimited. It is sufficient. It is satisfying. It is freedom. It is incomparable. It is everywhere. It is definitive. It is safety. It is love. It is mercy. It is grace. It is faithfulness. It is beauty. It is perfection. It is righteousness. Do I need to go on? Because I don't know that I have enough words to describe the picture that God, the Bible paints of God's goodness. God's goodness, church, is infinite and it is beautiful and it is incomprehensible to us. And it is so vast, so vast that we cannot fully comprehend it yet. I found this interesting. The original Saxon meaning of our English word God is, get ready for this, the good the original Saxon meaning of the English word for God is the good. How much more simple can you get? I mean, that's awesome. See, the goodness of God is his perfection. Arthur Pink, Arthur Pink in a book called The Attributes of God, says this. He says, there is such an absolute perfection in God's nature and being that nothing is wanting to it or defective in it and nothing can be added to make it better. Do you believe that this morning? If God, because he is the good, desires the welfare of his creation with a desire that is supremely powerful and supremely pure. So here's the thing that I hope that we are grabbing at this moment is that goodness is about character more than actions. Goodness is about the character than it is about actions. 
So you see, the goodness of God is not about our safety, our health, our comfort, our success, our awards, our house, our bank account, our education, our friends, or anything else. It is simply about the character of God. And so I'm going to give away the end of the sermon right now because I believe it's that important. You ready? God is not good because of what he does. He is good because of who he is. And he does what he does simply because he is good. Church, this is God's glory. God is good. He is the OG of goodness and he is the undisputed champion. Nothing is gooder than him. And so our challenge this morning as we look at what it means to live in the goodness of God is making sure that we do not put our own definition of good on top of God. That we do not put our own understanding and our own definition and our own perspective of what is and isn't good on top of God. Can we do that this morning? We're going to try anyway. So why Moses to help us understand what it means to live in God's goodness? Well, I'm going to invite you to join me in Exodus 33, uh, chapter, 12, uh, chapter 33, verses 12 through 23. And we're going to look at Moses, because I believe Moses in this passage demonstrates three essential attitudes that are necessary for us to understand what it means for us to live in the goodness of God. The fact that he's desiring God's goodness, he recognizes God's goodness, and he receives God's goodness. So as you're turning there, and whether you're paper or digital or whatever works for you, I want to give you a little context of how we're at, what we're picking up at this point in Exodus 33. So if you know uh, the story of Exodus and the Israelites, you know by this point God has delivered them out of Egyptian slavery, uh, they've crossed the Red Sea, and God is now getting them organized so that they can function as a nation which they've never actually been before. So he's getting, you know, telling them all kinds of stuff. So Moses, uh, God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai and gives him the Ten Commandments as well as a lot of other important things that he needs the people to know and do to exist as a nation. And Moses has gone for a long time. And so the people uh, who are still trying to figure out who this God is, uh, they get worried and they get afraid and they get uncertain. And uh, they are people that still are very much basing good on tangible actions. And so they need something tangible to, 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 to lead them. Because remember, up to this point, pillar of fire and cloud, I can see it. It's right there in front of me. Uh, where'd it go? I don't see it anymore. What's going on here? We're in the desert and we've got nothing. So, I don't believe that the Israelites were necessarily looking to another god, but they were looking for something to focus on. And so, of course, they end up with the golden calf, which we all know is a bad thing. And so God sees what's happening while he's over here on Mount Sinai with Moses, and he says, bad, foul, wrong, um, and probably another thing. He's not happy, and that's putting it mildly. Moses also, he tells Moses what's going on. Moses heads down the mountain. He sees what's going on. He's also not happy, and he throws down the tablets, and what happens to them? They break. They break. Um, and at this point, God wants to destroy the people and start over with Moses. His anger burns. Has your anger ever burned against someone? Imagine you have the power of God and now your anger is burning against someone. Not a good, not a good place to be. Moses, though, intercedes because he loves the people. Uh, God relents because he's a good God. Uh, but it's safe to say that the relationship between God and the Israelites is a little awkward at this point in time. Uh, there's some tension there. How many of you ever had tension in a relationship? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. So God, though, tells them to keep going towards the promised land, and he tells them that he's not going to personally go with them, though. And so this brings us to the conversation, yes, his actual conversation face-to-face -face, that Moses and God are now having in Exodus 33, and we're going to pick it up in verse 12. 
So, the first thing we're going to see as we look at verse 12 and 13 is that living in the goodness of God starts with desiring it. Living in the goodness of God starts with desiring it. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So what's happening here? Well, Moses is recognizing that he can't lead the people of God by himself, nor do I believe he wants to. And he's reminding God that these are God's people. They're not Moses' people. And it's not because God forgot, but this is what happens in a conversation. But the thing to remember here is that in all that has happened in God's anger against the Israelites, God and Moses are still on good terms. That relationship hadn't changed. The Lord still saw Moses with favor. It says it in verse 12, which is the same thing that God said about Noah in Genesis 6, 8, that, that he had found favor with God. You know what? That's a pretty big deal. How many of us want to find favor with God? And, and Moses has that favor and that, that relationship and that conversation is happening. Yet, for as much favor as Moses has with God, Moses chooses not to rest on his laurels. Moses could have simply came back and said, hey, God talks to me directly, so you guys do whatever I say. This is pretty awesome. Uh, but instead of resting on his laurels, which is easy for us to do, Moses says, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. Now, stop and think about this for a minute. Moses had already learned quite a few things about God by this point in time. They had a lot of action, a lot of history together. Moses had experienced much. Still, Moses desired to learn so he could know God and God's goodness better. Psalm 8611, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may, that I may fear your name. Psalm 11968, you are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. I believe, church, that this is an attitude that we need to be careful about, about resting in our laurels, thinking that we know enough. There's always more to know and learn about God's goodness. If our relationship with God, what we call discipleship, is about ongoing growth, it is indeed a long obedience in the same direction. And Moses here is looking for something. He's looking for the affirmation of the goodness of God. And in that desire of what he's looking for, he has a confidence that I think is pretty impressive. So church, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Do you desire the fullness of God in your life? Or are you just waiting for this life to be over because you are overwhelmed by the trials and the troubles and the tribulations? Are you learning more about the ways of God for more than just the sake of knowledge to say you know more stuff? But are you learning about the ways of God to grow in your desire for God's goodness? Or are you running frantically after a lesser God like the Israelites did? Are you looking for an easy Jesus who looks more like you than he does like God? Or are you pursuing and holy satisfaction instead of desiring the fullness of the goodness of God. Living in the goodness of God starts with desiring it. 
But then living in the goodness of God requires recognizing it. Verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now Moses is familiar with God's presence. The burning bush, the pillar of cloud and fire, uh, the tent of meeting where God was present with him. And so God here affirms that his presence will go with Moses. And he also affirms that, that the people will indeed have rest. Now rest can be both an internal thing, rest of the soul. You know, Jesus calls us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That doesn't mean that you stop engaging in life, but he gives you that internal peace and rest that we so desperately need. But rest can also be external, which is what uh, God was pushing the Israelites toward to go into the promised land. And he was going to help them defeat their enemies and give them rest from all that pressured them so they could live at peace. And I believe God in part points out the rest here because his presence often shakes and challenges and convicts us, doesn't it? But his presence can also bring peace and comfort and rest. Verse 15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Why did Moses ask again? Why did Moses ask again? Did he not hear the answer the first time? But you have to remember, too, where Moses is coming from. He had just seen the Lord's anger at the Israelites for doing things in their own way. God was ready to call the whole thing off. So Moses, I believe, needs to be sure. So not only did Moses want to recognize God's goodness, but he wanted others to recognize God's goodness through them, through the Israelites. So God had told them to go, go to the promised land, but that he wasn't going to go with them because he might consume them with his wrath. But Moses, Moses wasn't satisfied with God's delegate. He wanted the Lord himself to go with them. So he says, unless you go with us. Didn't want to go alone. And he didn't want the nations, I believe, to say, look what the Israelites did. But he wanted them to say, look what God did. He is good. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Spoiler alert, he knows each of us by name as well. So hang on to that. Verse 18, then Moses said, now show me your glory. If you want the climax of the story, here it is right here. This is the most important verse, I believe, in this passage. Now show me your glory. Moses, in this moment, is making a bold an audacious request. And I wonder, did Moses know what he was asking? Did Moses actually know what he was asking? To see and to know and to recognize the Lord as he really is. For Moses needed more. He knew God was good. But he wanted to know, is God really good? Up to this point, Moses had been operating under everything he learned at the burning bush encounter with God. But the anger of the Lord that Moses saw towards the people because of the golden calf and the Lord's refusal to allow Moses to make atonement for them, that shook Moses. It shook Moses' confidence a little bit. So he needed and he wanted to recognize the goodness of God anew and afresh. What about you and me? 
for us today. I wonder if sometimes the presence of the Lord, maybe we don't see it as necessary because we are smart, we are self-sufficient, and we are an independent people. I wonder if sometimes for you and me, God's goodness becomes perverted because we think we know better. Look what we know. Look what we can do. Look what we can buy. Look what we can build. Look what we, what we can invent. Look what we can accomplish. I think sometimes, too, we get used to God's presence and it loses its awesome beauty. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about cheap grace. I wonder how many of us are living under a cheap goodness. The reality is, too, is that we, in today's time under the new covenant, we can know God in a way that generally wasn't possible for most people back then. But yet we still find ourselves as stiff-necked and stubborn people, don't we? So my question, are we recognizing the goodness of God every day? But maybe I need to ask a more basic question than that. Do we even want to recognize the goodness of God? Do we even want to recognize the goodness of God? Do we even have the boldness to ask God to show us his goodness? Because let's be honest, how many of us at times have started to push into God and it got scary and it got uncomfortable? Or God actually responded and we said, mm, no, that's a little bit outside my comfort zone. I, I, I'm, I'm not ready for that. I don't, I don't want that. But yet we have we have the boldness and the freedom and the privilege and the right and even, I would say, the responsibility to ask God to show us his goodness. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, with confidence, my friends, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And it's because of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus alone. A.D.W. Tozer in Knowledge of the Holy writes this. He says, Christ walked with men on earth that he might show them what God is like and make known the true nature of God to a race that had nothing, had wrong ideas about him. This was only one of the many things he did while here in the flesh. But this he did with beautiful perfection. From him we learn how God acts towards people. The hypocritical the basically insincere will find him cold and aloof as they once found Jesus. But the penitent will find him merciful. The self-condemned will find him generous and kind. To the frightened, he is friendly. To the poor in spirit, he is forgiving. To the ignorant, considerate. To the weak, gentle. And to the stranger, hospitable. Living in the goodness of God means recognizing it. How are you seeking to live in the goodness of God and recognize that each day? I'm doing something to try and be more intentional about that. And if you're like me and more melancholy, we have a tendency to look at the darker side of life and the problems of life and the things that aren't going right. But yet, that doesn't alleviate the responsibility to look and recognize the goodness of God. So I've started trying to develop this habit uh, called the Daily Examine, uh, which is an ancient practice that was de developed by Ignatius of Loyola. And it's basically a five-step thing that takes a few minutes that you do a couple times a day to become more aware of the goodness of God. And so you see it there on the screen. It starts with being still. Put your phone down. Turn off the radio. Be quiet and be still. Be aware of the presence of God. He is with us in every moment. Give thanks. 
Review the past hours. Again, this is meant to be done a couple times a day, two or three times a day or more. Review the past hours with thankfulness. As you look back over the last few hours, what do you have to give thanks for? Surely, surely there's something that you can give thanks for. Number three, reflect. Become aware of your own emotions and how you've lived or not lived in the way of Jesus. Acknowledge that before God. He already knows anyway. You might as well acknowledge it too. And then pray. Choose one feature of the day so far and pray about it. Maybe it's confession. Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's a need. Maybe it's something in someone else's life. Maybe it's a thing that God is asking you to press in and you need to pray for boldness. Whatever it is, pray. And then hope. Look towards the next hours with expectation that God's goodness is with you in those moments. Living in the goodness of God requires recognizing it. Then living in the goodness of God then means receiving it. Verse 18 again, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Here's God's response. That all of his goodness is going to pass in front of Moses. How much goodness is that? I don't know. I can't think that big. But all of it was going to pass in front of Moses. But didn't Moses ask to see God's glory? Moses didn't ask for his goodness. He asked for God's glory. Church, God's glory is his goodness. God's glory is his goodness. And in his goodness is the fullness of his holy love. So in this, I hope that you're seeing that even more than the character quality, goodness is the essence of the very nature of God. Goodness is the essence of the very nature of God. So, did Moses actually know what he requested? Perhaps he did. Did Moses know the glory of God was his goodness? I don't know if Moses would have been able to articulate that in that way, but I have to believe that he had some inclination of what might happen. For he had already interceded that God would not destroy the people that his anger burned against and that he would forgive them after the calf, even to the point of risking his own relationship with God. If Moses didn't have some inclination of God's goodness in that point, I don't know that he would have gone to that length. He would have said, okay, God, you and me, let's go. But God tells Moses that he will honor his request Now he will proclaim his name Yahweh as he passes by. Notice here though, that God doesn't say that he's going to list all the things he had done. As I pass by and say my name, I will give you a list of the things I've done. I've created the earth, I created mankind, on and on and on and on. No. God says he is going to say who he is, his goodness, his mercy, and his compassion. Yes, God's goodness is often expressed in tangible ways that we can point to and that we can sometimes even touch. But when our focus becomes the gift instead of the giver, we have missed out on what God's goodness is really about. And so God says, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. On the one hand, how awesome is that? How awesome is that? But on the other hand, we struggle with that sometimes, don't we, as humans? To the point of even trying to decide for God who gets mercy and who gets compassion and who doesn't. 
church. We can't forget. We can't forget that God has shown each of us mercy and compassion through Jesus even when we didn't deserve it or even know about it. And if God wasn't good, Jesus would not have, been, Jesus would not have come and we would have been left to suffer in our unholy sin all by ourselves. God didn't have to provide a way, but he did. He did because he is good. And his goodness is sufficient for everyone, even those we think don't deserve it. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. My face must not be seen. God in his goodness not only allowed Moses to see him, but he protected Moses in that moment as well. God could have been just like, good luck with this. I'm awesome. Let's see how you handle it. But he didn't because he's good. And because his goodness is bigger than we can understand or we can comprehend. In Jesus, we see the goodness of the Father, but we don't fully, 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 fully see it yet because it is so vast and incomprehensible. And I've often thought about this and I've come to the conclusion that in our finite, sin-stained human state, even though we want to know all there is to know about God, if we did, our heads would explode, literally. It would just be so overwhelming to us. It is that big and that vast and that incomprehensible to our finite minds. Church, whether or not we receive God's goodness is entirely dependent on us. It is not dependent upon God at all. He is good. His goodness is his glory. And his goodness calls us to himself and makes a way for us to be there. And it requires us to trust God. Psalm 13, 5 and 6, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is what Moses did. Yet we struggle. We struggle to receive God's goodness. Sometimes, and well, before I say that, notice here, Moses doesn't say, mm, no thanks, God. Now, that's just too much for me. I, I'm not into that. No thanks. I, I'll just live with what I know. But sometimes we struggle to receive that because we say, no thanks. I, I, I don't, I'm not interested. I don't, I don't want to know more. It's too scary to me. Sometimes we struggle to receive God's goodness because goodness and kindness are conditional to us. It is a transactional thing. Well, you weren't nice to me, so I'm not going to be nice to you. Or you're not a very kind person, so forget it. I'm not going to be kind to you. Uh, I don't know if you're good enough or not to get my kindness back. So, but we, we treat it as conditional. That's not what it is. Goodness is not conditional. Sometimes we struggle to receive God's goodness because we see our sin is too big. Church, if God is bigger than anything we know, there's no sin that we can do that is too big for God's goodness. Amen? I don't believe you're excited enough about that. There's nothing we can do bigger than God's goodness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sometimes we struggle to receive God's goodness and here's the elephant in this conversation. Because we struggle to reconcile suffering in this world and God's goodness. Now, this is a whole sermon in and of itself. But I will say this. God's goodness is not diminished by the reality of suffering and sorrow in our world, in our lives. 
Why do I say that? Suffering and sorrow is not because of God, but because we choose sin. We choose as humans not to walk in the ways of God, the ways that he has told us to live for full life. We substitute other things looking for satisfaction and validation. This is one of the implications of free will, which is also another sermon. But the fact is, even in the midst of suffering, we see God's goodness. In the midst of sin and rebellion and mocking and choices and unholiness and selfishness and pride, we see God's goodness. How and why? Because he does not immediately deal with it, but gives us, he gives us multiple opportunities for repentance because he does not want any to perish apart from the saving grace of Jesus. Even as we keep doing unholy things. We desperately need God's goodness because of our choices of sin. God's holy love through Jesus. God's goodness made manifest. So what happens next? Well, if you read on in Exodus 34, we see that God tells Moses what to do to meet him. It says Moses rises early the next day to meet God. I can imagine there's a little bit of anticipation and expectation on Moses' part. And Moses climbs the mountain, and God passes by Moses. Can we see the picture? I don't know if this is what it looked like because no one had a camera, but uh, uh, this might be pretty close. The glory of the Lord with all of its goodness descends upon Mount Sinai and upon Moses. But in that moment... It's not so much about what Moses sees, but what he hears. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It wasn't in that moment about what Moses saw, but what Moses heard. God renews the covenant with Israel, with Moses. Moses spends 40 days and nights and he descends the mountain with a radiant face. And the Israelites are sent forth to bless all the nations as God's people living out of God's goodness. Church, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? As part of that question, the question is, what about us? How does the Lord desire us? Or, or how does the Lord want us to desire God's goodness? How does the Lord want us to recognize God's goodness? How does the Lord want us to receive God's goodness? And how does the Lord want us to share God's goodness? For if all we do is receive, but we do not share, then we have missed the point of God's goodness. It is not to be hoarded. It is not to be held onto. It's not going to run out. It is not insufficient. There is enough. It is never a question of whether someone deserves it or not. It's not a question of worth. God's goodness is enough for all of us, and it is about the glory of God. It doesn't matter if someone is good first. We weren't. It doesn't matter if someone behaves badly. We do. It doesn't matter if someone believes differently or whatever else you want to put in there. 
And so what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? As we connect to Christ church, may we praise him because he is good. As we grow with others, church, may we tell one another how good God is. Even when life hurts, may we still say God is good. And as we engage the world, may we serve and love all the nations, all the tribes, all the tongues because of the goodness of God. Psalm 145. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Church, God is not good because of what he does. He is good because of who he is. And he does what he does because he is good. This is his glory. Amen? As we wrap up this morning, I want us to take just a few moments and talk about the goodness of God. So I'm going to invite you in just these next few moments to turn to those that are around you. If you don't know someone, introduce yourself. It's okay. I just want you to take just a moment and share how you've seen the goodness of God or how you know the goodness of God. And maybe if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I've never seen the goodness of God. I don't understand the goodness of God. I invite you to be honest and just admit that to the people that you're sharing with. This is a safe place. And then I'm going to invite you to share quickly and then take a few moments in praying together. Pray about how we can receive and recognize and desire the goodness of God, not only as individuals, but as a family as well. And then, church, we're going to sing. So go ahead and turn, uh, pray, uh, share, and pray together for a few moments, and then we'll sing together of the goodness of God.